0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives podcast. I'm Adam Turtletell from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from outside Philadelphia is Seth Whitelaw. Seth is president and CEO of the Whitelaw Compliance Group, and he's the author of the chapter, The Opioid Crisis and the Risk of Diversion and the Complete Healthcare Compliance Manual. First, Seth, thanks for taking the time to write the article and for talking to us
1: today. Thanks for having me, Adam.
0: Oh, my pleasure. So let's dive in onto what's really just a very difficult topic, uh, one with obviously huge social costs. You know, while COVID has dominated the public health conversation in the U.S. for the last two years, the opioid crisis, as you know, has
1: not gone away. How bad are things currently? Well, bad is a relative term, Adam, and I I think what is important to note is that when we talk about the opioid crisis, we're really referring to prescription opioids for the most part. And over the last, I would say, three or four years, the nature of the epidemic has changed. So we've moved started to see some decline in opioid, prescription opioid-related deaths. And we have seen a massive increase in deaths related to fentanyl and heroin, so more illicit drug overdoses as opposed to seeing it from prescription drugs so doesn't mean that the prescription opioid crisis has gone away in fact the levels at which opioids are being prescribed are still well above the levels that you would have seen in the mid to late 1990s but that said there are some encouraging signs with slight decrease in the number of prescriptions which indicates that people are becoming more aware doctors are becoming more aware And being a bit more careful, hopefully.
0: Yeah, hopefully it's uh, it's obviously been just a huge tragedy. Now let's talk about diversion, and and can you begin by sort of defining it? What is diversion, technically?
1: Not a precise definition, but the definition generally is framed up this way: it's when you take a prescription-controlled substance and you move it into an off an illegal distribution chain or situation. So in other words, you write an illegal prescription. You write a prescription that's not for someone, uh, for the person who's in front of you, you're writing it, and then that is going to someone else. So there are whole lots of things that fall under the world of diversion, but it basically means that you're sending products somewhere where it shouldn't be, outside of uh, lawful control mechanisms. Hmm.
0: Now, what are some of the common mistakes within healthcare when it comes to controlling uh, misuse of opioids?
1: Well, I think the biggest common mistake is not paying attention to the information that you're getting. Distributors, manufacturers, doctors, pharmacists, they all have access to information. So the questions for, for example, for a physician would be, is the person in front of me just displaying addictive behavior? Uh, Are they a person that this might, in fact, do more harm than than good? Pharmacists have data that show the number of prescriptions that doctors are writing. Are they writing prescriptions that are for more than what their practice size would normally suggest? you you may remember some of the videos that are out there uh, showing about you know West Virginia and the fact that the, prescript- the number of prescriptions being written were well in excess of the town's population. For example, um, John Oliver did a piece on it. Um, so those are the kinds of, of things. So I think a lot of it is just in, in not paying attention to what is the data showing you that you have a problem, and then digging in further and to find out what is really going on. There could be legitimate reasons for large increases in opioids, new practices coming into the um, area, new pain clinics coming into an area, but you really need to delve into the data and understand it.
0: It sounds like it's a good argument for a healthy dose of skepticism, especially in this area, and really making sure that the numbers add up and sort of putting trust aside a little bit here. Um, Now, What controls then should be in place to prevent these diversions and this abuse?
1: Well, it depends on where you are in what the DEA refers to as the closed-loop system. So doctors, pharmacists, manufacturers, distributors, they're all within the closed-loop system. So in essence, the controls will vary by who we're talking about. But in essence, the basic fundamental control is monitoring pay attention to what's going on. Who are you writing prescriptions for? Who are you filling prescriptions for? Who are you selling prescription, you know, who are you selling opioids to? So know your customer. And I think that's probably the key concept, although know your customer is really limited by the DEA in the context of pharmacists, distributors, and manufacturers, I think it goes to prescribers as well. Know your patient, know your customers, understand them, and understand who who you're working with and understand their business as much as you possibly can so that you know that what you're providing is in fact relevant to their business and certainly not exceeding what they need.
0: Which is something, you know, we're
1: not used to doing in a lot of other
0: situations. I mean, obviously, there's controls in place for other kinds of healthcare fraud, but certainly this argues for a much higher degree. Now, if a compliance team finds a suspicious order or, as is often the case, many of them, what are the reporting requirements um, when that's found?
1: The DEA requires, certainly in the case of manufacturers and distributors, that you have to report to the DEA. It's pretty simple. The Where the issue turns is, when is an order considered to be suspicious? So, for example, we know there are times when a pharmacist may order something from, say, a distributor, and they add an extra zero into the order that's known within the trade as fat-fingered orders Um, that's the typographical error so is that really a suspicious order well it, it's suspicious when it comes in but you need to do a little bit and again you have a limited window but you need to do a little bit of digging to say is this just a mistake or is this real and if you can't resolve whether or not this is a mistake or not then your obligation is to turn around and report that information to the DEA.
0: You know, which seems to me that in this era where there's so much emphasis on automated controls and automated monitoring and auditing, that it's important that we recognize that there's still a need for a human element to, to sort of look and try and
1: assess what's exactly going on, correct? Absolutely, because here's here's the thing. If you take a look, most of the most of the distributors and manufacturers and others, they all have automated systems. The automated systems are really good at if you set the algorithms up right of kicking out what we would call them outliers. But there still needs to be some human element to look at: is is this outlier important or not? The machines can't tell you that. We haven't developed AI to that that extent yet. Someday maybe we'll get there, but we're not there yet. So you need humans to put their eyes on the data and do some investigation to figure out if you really have a problem. Are there
0: any red flags in general that people should be vigilant for?
1: Sure, there are lots of red flags. The DEA has been very clear about them. But now some examples, that they cite routine, routinely in cases that they bring. You know, you go to a doctor's office and you see a line of people, all looking visibly impaired around the, the block. Right before the person opens, you are looking at a doctor who is writing prescriptions at a rate that, if you did the math, and you did just a little bit of math, you'd realize that he could he couldn't be seeing all those patients legitimately. They're essentially walking in and walking out with a prescription, so it's maybe a two-minute visit if it's even that. That's certainly a red flag. Um, Other red flags that DA has brought up again routinely, and we saw saw this a lot in West Virginia, for example, would be the parking lot happens to be filled with lots and lots of of out-of-state plates in front of the, the pharmacy. Again, raising the question about you know, are they just prescribing for the local constituency, or are they also you know, essentially filling prescriptions for out of staters as well? So those are the kinds of things that you're looking for. It, it, it there is no real bright line here. It, it's a lot like the pornography standard. You know it when you see it, but it Which, tends to be fairly evident.
0: Mm-hmm. When, which all, of course, goes back to the idea that you can't rely just on automated controls. That there, there is a need to take the time and take a look and see what's going on exactly. Well, um, Seth, thank you for taking the yeah. time to, sh- to share these insights with us today and also in the chapter, The Opioid Crisis and the Risk of Diversion in the new Complete Healthcare Compliance Manual. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletop from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.